Yellow. Mellow. Hi. Imagine you're traveling. You're traveling to, um, you're doing a road trip, right? And you get hungry and you run out of gas and you saw this little cute diner in the middle of nowhere in this little town and you stop by. Then the owner offers you free meal. You get a free anything, everything you want to eat, but in one condition. You have to offer her your deepest, darkest secret in exchange for a free meal. Would you? And also, you watch, whenever you watch movies and horror movies, you always think you will do the right thing. Usually, they always tell them, this is, don't ever go to the basement. Don't never open this window. Don't go into this room. This closet, off limit. But if you were given one job and one job only, not to open the door, would you respect it? Or would your curiosity take over everything? Welcome to another episode of Jenny and Charles. I'm Jenny. And I'm Charles. And Charles, take it away with the story because I can't wait to know what's up. <laughs> What's on the other side of the door? I, I don't want them to open it. That would be the instruction, but uh-huh. I kind of want to Well, know. you'll get to see what they decide to do. All right. So, let's get started. I had one job. Don't open the door. Roger was a no-frills type of guy. He was of good posture, stern, and his clothes were crisp down to the French cuffs on his sleeves. His tone was soft, and his words direct but polite. I had known him all but a few seconds before I decided that I could trust this man with my life. Which was why I took everything he said quite seriously. I had found the gig online. It was a posting for someone to house it. I surmised that Roger was likely some kind of property manager and was short-staffed, which was why he had to use a third-party app to fulfill his needs even if he weren't used to seeking help. Because although he seemed relaxed, a part of me felt as if he was reluctant to let go of the reins easily, which made me think that he was either incredibly passionate about his job or really responsible, both of which I found to be extremely positive qualities. That concludes the tour now, he clapped his hand together. The fridge, the kitchen, the pantry, the living room, bathrooms, even any of the bedroom is yours to use. Consume, sleep, relax, it's up to you. But there's one rule that I insist must be followed. Yeah, sure, I nodded. Until I get back, do not open the door. What? I regretted the words the instant they left my lips. I, um, no, yeah, okay, yeah. He didn't say another word, only stared at me. No, I get it, I promise. I won't open the door until you get back. I like you, kid. And the algorithm thinks you're fit for the job, which I tend to trust these things, so let's be clear here. Do not open the door. It doesn't matter what happens. Don't let anyone inside. Yeah, of course. No, I get it. Some people like to limit their personal spaces. I once went to a friend's house and it was a mother home at first, the kind that all the prospective buyers tore right. And my friend's parents never got over the walls. They always complained that all the people that walked in and all of them touched them. 
seeped their dead skin cells into the walls or something. They even painted over it quite a few times, if I remember correctly. But still, they said it wasn't the same, that it wasn't right. So yeah, I completely understand. Personal space and everything, I respect that. Roger let out a content-filled sigh and then smiled easily. <laughs> You're going to do great. He looked at his watch. I had never seen a nicer one, to be honest. Okay, I've got another engagement. So lock the door behind me and I'll be back. Then without another word, he left. Don't open the doors, I repeated after him. Got it. The house was a good size. I've house sat at other homes before, mainly to feed their dogs or some exotic fish. And although there wasn't much furniture in this one, it felt classy, timeless almost. I walked around to check that all the windows were secured. The sliding door leading to the backyard was closed. The door from the kitchen which led into the garage was locked. Before I sat down in the front room and turned on the TV. I was in the middle of watching a rerun of Campfire Tales when I heard my first knock. I turned the TV off and waited, hoping whoever it was would go away. Hello? They knocked again. Do you have a moment for Jesus Christ? Shit, I muttered. Getting off the couch, I walked over to the door and leaned in. <clears throat> yes, I cleared my throat. Hello? Hi, we're with the local church, and we're wondering if you have accepted, accepted Jesus into your life. No, I'm sorry, I'm not religious, I lied. If you'd like, we can give you some pamphlet or something else for some light reading. He pulled on the handle. They helped me a lot some time back, and maybe you'd find use for them too. A second voice came next. A lot of people have told us that they have been useful for them, not knowing when they needed it the most. If you could, sorry, I'm not interested, but thank you. There was a pause. Sure, we get it. But um, do you mind if we leave you this pamphlet on the door for another member of the household, perhaps? You can grab them whenever you like. Yeah, no, yeah, that's fine, thanks. I could hear the paper scraping against the door and saw the handle jiggle slightly before the first voice spoke again. Thanks for your time today. I waited for the sound of their footsteps to disappear before I decided to breathe. I then looked through the peephole to make sure they were gone. My hand instinctively reached for the handle to grab the pamphlet as I didn't want the house to look untidy from the outside. I had no sooner touched not before I remember what Roger said. But no one's here, I said aloud. Still, I'd, te I'd technically be breaking the rule. I couldn't help but smile. When did you get to be such a stickler for rules, I said to myself, feeling rather proud as I returned to the couch and clicked through a few movie titles on the stream before settling on an old classic. I don't know how far I got into the movie before I heard it on a knock on the door. What are the chances, I thought. What a busy house. I turned off the TV and waited, hoping they would go away. Hello? A voice came from outside. Pizza delivery? My stomach growled. I looked up at the clock. It was past noon. The only problem was, I didn't order any pizza. 
Hello? Pizza delivery? They knocked again. I've got a double pepperoni and a pineapple pizza for uh, Roger. I got up from the couch again. Roger didn't tell me that this gig included lunch. Hold on just a minute, I shouted. I'm coming. I looked, I looked through the people as I reached for the door handle. But something wasn't right. I could feel it. Was this a test? Had Roger called the local pizzeria to make sure that I wasn't breaking his one simple rule? If I did, would that mean I wouldn't get paid? I looked through the peephole again. It was a young guy, younger than me, but looked old enough to drive. He wore a dark blue polo that had curled collars at the edge and was holding up a red insulated bag. I didn't order any pizza. I could see the kid's side before looking at the receipt. Is this 226? Yeah. Well, I've got a pizza here for you. For Roger? Yeah, for Roger. Well, I'm not Roger. But this is 226? It is. Look, the pizza's already been paid for. If you don't want to tip me, that's fine. I just have to get to my next delivery. He waited. I didn't budge. I'm going to leave it here, he directed toward a half pillar on the porch. Shaking his head as he grabbed two boxes and set them down before zipping up his delivery pouch. Cheap ass, he murdered. I felt my stomach growl again as I watched him walk away and walk away. And now, I failed to mention this earlier, but the people oversaw the entire driveway and most of the sidewalk. So when the guy walked out of sight, he was a good house down before I could no longer see him. The thing was, I never saw his delivery vehicle either. I looked at the pizza sitting on the half pillar. A few cheap paper plates were stacked on top and I could see the packets of parmesan being warmed up. I took a deep breath in hopes to stave off my urges, but that only made it worse as the smell permeated through the door. It was pizza, all right. I could bet my life on that one. But still, I didn't open the door. Instead, I got back on the couch and turned down the volume on the TV. In fact, I got to about three volume before I decided to mute the thing outright and begin to watch my movie in complete silence. Some time passes and I ate some burritos I found in the freezer. I was mid-bite into this double-stuffed cheese burrito when the sound of two kids outside the door could be heard. No, you knock. No, come on, you do it. Hey, it's your ball. Fine. This kid knocked on the door. Hello, he shouted loudly. I'm sorry for disturbing you, but our ball went over your fence. Do you think you could get it for us? I did not move a muscle. Another knock, another knock came. Hello? Maybe they'll go away. Hello? He knocked again. We can hear you, you know. We can hear you chewing. I swallowed my last bite roughly and wiped my hands on my jeans. I leaned into the people to see two kids, about seven or eight, standing outside. They had on shorts and t-shirts and looked a little muddy. The other kid's voice rang through as I approached. Come on, please, we just want our ball back. I'm sorry, but I can't help you right now. I'm busy. Could you come back later? Please, the first kid said, 
Could you help us? My dad's about to come home soon and he's going to be so mad if I told him I lost another ball. I looked into the people again and saw that the kid looked nervous, scared even. He was wringing his hands. Fuck, I muttered under my breath. Okay, hold on, let me go take a look. I hollered. Then I walked towards the back and glanced around the yard. Sure enough, a bright red ball with yellow star on it sat in the grass near the fence. I grabbed the handle before debating with myself. It's technically a door, right? Sliding door. Sliding door. I played with the words in my mouth. It's right in the name. It's a sliding door. I chuckled. That's like asking if water is white. But still, the sound of the kid worrying rang in my ear and I didn't want him to get into trouble. And I had my hand on the door when I also noticed a football laying on its side nearby. I walked halfway between the sliding door and the front door and shouted, Which ball is yours? What? I shouted through the door. What kind of ball do you have? There was a pause. A basketball, the second kid said. I went back to the sliding door and scanned the grass before going back. Sorry kids, I can't help you out. There's no basketball back there. No, doofus, the first kid whispered. It's a soccer ball. I shook my head. No soccer balls either. Please, could you open the door and let us take a look? Maybe you missed it. I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about it. No, I'm sorry, I can't help you right now. Maybe if you come back later. No, you don't understand, the first kid cried. I need that ball, my dad's going to be so mad at me. Yeah, the second kid chimed in. Please, could you just let us take a look? No, I said firmly. I'm sorry. One of the kids kicked the door before I heard them running away. I breathed a sigh of relief and unclenched my fist. I didn't even know I was tense until just now. It's just a door, I said, as I returned to the couch. It's just a silly rule. But I turned off the TV and sat there in silence, too afraid to make a sound, too afraid to even finish my burrito. I didn't have to wait long before I got off the couch again. At first, it was two shots in the air, then three more in succession. I could hear a car alarm go off somewhere in the neighborhood, but the sound of a gun going off seemed unusual as this was a rather nice area. Someone screamed in the distance. It sounded like it was coming from across the street. I bolted upright and rushed to the door, peering through the eye hole, where I saw a woman barging out of her door. Her dress clumped in one hand so she could run, and blood dripping down the side of her face. She looked terrified as she crossed the street barefoot, up the driveway towards the porch, and slammed her fist into the door. Help! Please! Help! She screamed. I need help! Please! Call 911! She banged on the door again. My husband! He's trying to kill me! I could see the fear in her eyes as she kept looking back at her house. The door shook again. Help me! Please! Open the door! I don't know when my hand had left my side, but when I looked down, they were gripping the handle so hard that my knuckles were white. Please, he's coming! But I waited. Someone! She banged on the door. Help! And waited. But no one came out of her house. The two of us stood there, 
The woman's frantic knocking ebbed as the minutes passed. Was it two minutes now? Five, perhaps? I'm not sure. But eventually, she stopped banging on the door. I looked into the peephole and saw her chin had dropped to her head, and she was smiling. I tried to look away, but she moved closer, slowly, but closer toward the door until her eyes were staring directly into the peephole. I see you. I nearly fell over backwards as the door suddenly began to shake. The thing looked like it was going to buck right off from the frame. I crawled backwards on my hands and feet until my back hit the side of the couch. Open the door! I shook my head, too terrified to move, and waited until the knocking stopped. The sun was still out when the woman first came. It was now barely visible through the windows. Dusk had settled on the house, and all of the lights were out even the TV. I was still on the floor, hugging my knees, when a knock came at the door. It was softer and quiet, dignified even. Hello? It was Roger's voice. Hey, I'm back. I was so glad to hear him that I immediately rushed to the door. He knocked again just before I could reach the handle. Could you open the door? The words froze me in my steps. Roger? Hey, yeah, it's me. Let me in. Roger? I looked at the people, and sure enough, it looked like Roger. Hey, come on. Could you let me in? It's cold outside. Don't, don't you have the key? He reached into his pockets and shook his head. Nope. I must have left them at the office. Then he looked at me and flashed an award-winning smile. Hey, you didn't take what I said that seriously, did you? before turning around and noticed the pizza boxes tilted on the half pillar. Wow, I guess you did, he smirked. We're definitely going to have you we're definitely going to have to use you again soon. He picked up the boxes and palmed the door handle. Now, could you please open the door? I shook my head. No, you explicitly told me not to open the door. Yeah, he told me. And you did a great job. Might have took it too literally, but I appreciate that sort of thing. But come on. Hey, it's me. Open the door. Why don't you have the key? He shrugged. I don't know. It was a busy day today, and I must have forgotten them. He reached around his pants before pulling out a set from his breast pocket. Oh, look! I thought I had them. But these are the wrong ones. He waited. Now, come on. Open the door. I shook my head and backed away. Open the door. The frame shook. Look, I'm not playing around anymore. Open the door before I call the cops and have you arrested for trespassing. Your gig's over now. Go home. No, I told him. Open the fucking door, man. His yelling was so loud it made the door rattle. And then the entire house started shaking. I squatted on the floor and covered my ears, my teeth shivering in my mouth as I prayed that he would go away. I was so scared that I was even too afraid to cry. But eventually, the shaking stopped and the house was quiet again. I sat there for nearly an hour before I forced myself to sit back on the couch where I once again heard the door handle jiggle and the sound of metal in the lock before it turned and clicked open. Roger walked through the door, looking as calm and pristine as ever. 
He had an award winning smile as he looked at me. Hey, you made it, he beamed, pulling out a stack of money from his pocket. I knew you would, and handed me $800. We're going to have to use you again next time. And that's the end of the first part, because this is a multi-parter. Wait, so why did he say exactly the same thing as the fake Roger said? Ah, as you guessed, I think it was either him trying to fool him and see if he would open the door, or um, indeed a fake Roger who knew what Roger would say. I mean, they they all... Technically, they all knew exactly what he was doing. Because even the kids were like, Mm -hmm. we can hear you chewing. Like, damn. I know. As a kid, what kind of super hearing do you have? Or hearing you have? Right. And um, I don't know. It's just, and they dialed it up. And I would have known at the second, at the pizza Mm -hmm. delivery, I would have known something was up. Because... You're house-sitting somewhere, and the guy tells you, don't Mm -hmm. open the door. And all of a sudden... All these people, all this shit happening in the same neighborhood. You know? I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't want to say Jehovah Witness, but whatever. Church comes knocking on the door, (laughs) and then right after it's pizza, pizza is not enough. Now kids, and then the lady that gets shot, Mm -hmm. like, goddamn, like, everything happens in this one neighborhood? Like, is that where all the movie inspirations come from? It looks like it. It looks like it's the set, but um, the I think the woman one was Yo, the creepiest to me. And when you were yeah, like, oh, how do I you? you?" I was like, "Damn, was she uh-huh. there when the the story happened?" I'm like, "This is <laughs> this is creepy." I was sitting here just all creeped out. Would you do that though for eight hundred? I know I wouldn't open if I'm already there, like you know. But I won't come back to this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, using me again. No, I'm, I'm gonna take my eight hundred dollars and bounce. But I know I wouldn't have opened the door because when that guy you came and he was like, "Oh, it's Roger," yeah. I was like, "Don't do it, don't do it. It's not Roger." I'm like, "Why doesn't he mm-hmm. have the keys?" And he was saying, "I'm like, thank you." I was like, "Mommy, exactly. mommy." Because by now you, you know, know the there's something trying mm-hmm. to get into this house, and they're going to try yeah, everything they, they the can thing to is they get you. mad. So after he doesn't let him let right. them in, like they get all irritated and kick exactly. the door. Exactly, they're like. Well, that was but, really yeah, good. I, thought... I can't wait to know the second part. Actually, now I want to hear the second part immediately now. Should I indulge you? I could yeah. indulge you. Yeah, I want to hmm. hear the second part. Fine. Okay, so I'm nice and I will give you part two now. I had one job. The door that folded me. It wasn't long after the first time that I met Roger when I got another request from him to house it. After what happened last time, I didn't think that I'd ever accept another gig from him, but a friend had figured out that with tips, I had essentially made $100 per hour. And many people were quick to mention that it's not as if I died or anything. Really, does no one care about my well-being? Hey, I'm really glad you came. Roger shook my hand as I arrived. We've been a little stretched out and could use the help. It was the same house. Again, you're free to anything, but remember, don't open any doors, I assured him. Roger smiled and warned, winning grin again. You got it. He looked at his watch. It was still the most interesting timepiece I had ever seen. 
I've got another engagement, he told me. Could you get the door? He hollered as it closed behind him. I went up and locked it before sitting down on the couch. Experience told me not to turn on the TV. It also reminded me to pay no mind to the door when it was not, which happened before my butt could properly warm the seat. Hey, Roger's voice came through the door. I forgot the keys on the counter. Could you let me in? I didn't make a peep. I didn't even turn my head towards the kitchen to confirm or deny. He knocked again. Open the door, would ya? I'm running late for my next engagement. The rapping came a little rougher this time. What's with you? Come on. What part of running late don't you understand? You know how traffic is around this time. You live around here. I looked up at the clock. It was rush hour. Would you open the door? Hey, you did this last time too, and I had to drive all the way back to the office to get the keys. He knocked harder on the door. Open up! But I did not budge. I didn't even look. Eventually, the knocking ceased and I breathed a sigh of relief. I could feel sweat running down my face. But when I reached to dry them, I realized that they were actually coming from my eyes. I've never been particularly good with conflict. For instance, I went to brunch on Sunday with my dad and ordered the salmon with steamed broccoli. The waiter brought me the chicken fillet and grilled zucchinis. I ate the pants here tied quietly. Thinking about food, my stomach growled as it was almost lunch. I glanced at the door. It was quiet as a mouse. So I got up and went to the kitchen and pulled open the freezer drawer. To my horror, the burritos were missing. They were actually quite decent last time, even the skin, so I was bummed to say the least. I reached for the double handles of the French door fridge, but froze before I pulled them. It was right there in the name, wasn't it? French doors. I didn't need an etymology degree to know what that meant. Although I did think about it for a second as my stomach gurgled, but in the end, fear won out, and I retreated to the living room and sat down on the couch, hungry. Nearly an hour passes before a scratching noise woke me up from my daydreams. I had been planning on how to spend the money, things I would buy, stuff that I would eat. It was already practically gone be even before I got it. The scraping noise sounded as if it was coming from the door. I looked to my left, expecting a knock to follow, but it didn't happen. Yet, I could still hear the noise. Against my better judgment, I got up slowly from the couch, going closer to the landing room until I stood beneath the chandelier. Hello? I called out. Don't ask me why I did that. It's not as if I actually wanted an answer. Who's there? Another stupid question. I waited for the door to move, the handle to jiggle. Anything, really. But it was as it was dead as a doorknob. But it was dead as a doorknob. Still, I heard the noise clear as a sunny day. I put a hand on the front door, but it didn't budge. Instead, it sounded as if the noise was coming from upstairs. The scratching came again overcoming the stillness of the house. I reluctantly turned my head upward and followed each step with my eyes. 
Besides the house door, I had never ventured up there, not alone at least. The scratch came again. I should have sat back down, turned my shoulder away even, after I figured that it was none of my business. But then, I heard a meow. Now, I've house-sat before, as I've mentioned, mostly to feed someone's dog or exotic fish, but every once in a while, it would be to accompany a cat, even though I've found them to be largely self-sufficient creatures, with the only problems I've ever faced with cats being them trapped in a room, which, without a little box, it would only mean one thing. Shit, I swallowed as he meowed again. I had read once that cats mimic the cries of human babies in order to appeal to our better instincts. It worked. I climbed the stairs and whistled softly. Here, kitty kitty. Here, kitty kitty. All of the doors upstairs were closed, except for the bathroom, which was slightly ajar. Come on, cat, I hissed. Where are you? Meow. The door to my left vibrated as something pushed it from the other side. Meow. I could see it pacing back and forth from the door gap, pacing restlessly, waiting to be let out. Meow. It growled as I got closer, almost as if demanding to be let out. But as I approached, a foul stench emanated through the door. It was thick and sickly, reminding me of cooked mushrooms after they had already passed. Shit, I repeated. They're not going to be happy if there's cat crap all over the carpet. Meow. It whined, this time softer. But a thought came to my head. A bedroom door was in fact a door. Even if it was on the inside. The thing started to growl as I backed away. Louder now, deeper, as if he could sense my reluctance, as if he knew I would keep it trapped inside, maybe forever. The footsteps beneath the door grew heavier. I could see the shadow of growing in size as, as it stretched beyond the door's threshold. I couldn't get down the stairs quickly enough, jumping on the couch, waiting for the growling to dissipate, to dissipate waiting for the silence. The minutes ticked by and felt excruciating, like I was holding my breath, struggling to breathe, each second ticking in my ear, which seemed maddening, the room circling, spinning, falling down all around me until I nearly went crazy. It wasn't just quiet, it was complete silence. I couldn't hear cars outside or dogs barking, no birds or wind, I could only hear my own heart beating. If I thought about it too much, I had to remember how not to die. So when the knock finally came at the door and I jumped in my seat, I was almost relieved that I wasn't home alone. You've got to be shitting me. Through the peephole, I saw a life-sized, larger-than-life minotaur standing outside. It was holding the severed head of a goat. That's a hard pass, I almost laughed. You're losing your touch. The minotaur spread open its arms, almost as if it were accepting a hug, and moving. This was in broad daylight, which should have made the entire thing hilarious. Except as I continued staring at it, 
trying to find a smile on my face, I began to realize that it wasn't trying to trick me to open the door for once. Instead, it was standing before me, almost as if it were posing, as if it were mocking me. The hilarity of it all disappeared as I stared closer at the goat head and looked into the black of its eyes, thinking I saw within them the fear of its last moment. But it was only my reflection. I backed away and sat on the couch, wondering if the creature was still standing outside the door. I turned on the TV because anything was better than this impending silence. Some time passes and the screen is playing, but I'm not paying attention. I could feel something in my gut beginning to disappear, as if a blanket had been lifted from the house. And suddenly, I felt lighter. I could have breathed a sigh of relief, but a shimmer nearby caught my eye. I glanced around for the specks of blue, following it across the backyard, through the cracks in the adjoining fence. Images of the pole bouncing off the sun, and a red bikini walking like a still image filled the gaps. She was mesmerizing. Her hair was a thick brown, and her steps were light and graceful. I had been so drawn to her that when my nose touched the glass, I didn't even feel the cold. She jumped in. I got on my tippy toes to watch her. I waited, waited to see her emerge. Except she didn't. Splashes of water came up the middle. They felt like screams, inaudible wails that no one could hear. Not even her family. I banged on the window. Hey, hey! I banged on it with both fists. Somebody help her! Somebody! But it was no one but me. My fingers tried finding the latch on the window, but as they moved past the blind, my fingertips, like blind worms, searched for an opening before finally realizing that this wasn't a window. Not really. None of them were. There were only single panels of glass, starting from the outside in. I ran to the sliding door in the backyard, but I hesitated. My fingers were on the handle, and I could see her hand reaching out the water. She was waving it frantically, begging for help. But this was a door, a sliding door. I let out a deep breath, and then inhaled again. <sighs> when I looked up, the hand was still there, waving frantically. This time I held my breath and counted. Nearly a minute went by before I exhaled. A total of five minutes must have passed, and still the hand was waving and waving, but I would not be waiting. I got back on the couch and ignored everything, all except the hunger. I tried to quell my stomach by flipping through the TV, jumping from platform to platform, wishing that there was some sort of app that could bring all of these streamers together so that I could spend every following second consuming instead of thinking about the drowning woman. I finally settled on something and began to watch it, just to stop the thoughts inside of my head. But I couldn't ignore the sound that came from beneath me, under the couch. I'm hungry. It was so soft I almost mistook it for something from the TV. I stood up and backed away. You said you'd feed me if I was hungry. I pushed the couch away and found a trap door where I had been sitting this entire time, 
There was a hole in one of the planks. I looked into it and saw an eyeball staring back at me. The figure backed up and revealed the outlines of a kid. They were pale as a ghost, with long black hair that was unkempt and unruly. You're not him. Who? I asked quickly. Is it Roger? I don't know their name. Who are you? I asked. Christian. Christian, are you okay? No, I told you, I'm hungry. Fuck, I whispered. It's the house, it's just the house again. I shook my head. No way, I'm not gonna listen to you. Can you feed me? Christian reached out a tiny finger through the hole, and for the first time since I started house-sitting here, I had been touched. That was real. It felt real. I scrambled to the floor and fiddled with the lock. Christian, I'm going to get you out of here, I promise. No, don't. What? If he finds out, we'll get in trouble, he jumbled. I looked around half expecting Roger to appear out of nowhere, half wondering if there was a murdering, deranged homeowner that was going to severe my head from my beating heart. Don't open any of the doors, Christian warned. What happened if I open the door? You'll never leave, Christian disappeared from view. I hit the lock. Fuck this shit. I'm sick and tired of always being afraid. I ran to the kitchen and rummaged through the drawers. This house had enough of me. I found a hammer and clutched it in one hand, calling the police with the other as I went back in the living room, determined to bust this lock. Hello, 911, what is your emergency? I'm a house sitter and I found a kid trapped inside. I think the guy I've been working for, or the people he's working for, fuck, I don't know, I don't know anything, I realized. All I know is that there's a boy here, a kid, his name's Christian, and they've been keeping him under the fucking couch. Please, you've got to help us. I don't feel like, I don't know when someone's coming back. I've tracked your location through the GPS signal. Two units will be arriving there shortly. Please stand by. I didn't have time to wait. Afraid that I would be calling the act, I tossed my phone on the couch and grabbed the hammer and started wailing on the lock repeatedly. It was like striking an anvil. It was like striking an anvil. When the joint finally gave, I uncurled the steel grip from the latch and pulled open the trap door. Down below, I could see a tiny figure, shivering. He was only wearing a white cloth around his waist, and he was thick then. The basement was completely empty, except for a twin mattress on the floor and an orange bucket in the corner. I was afraid to go down there, even now, so I reached my hand out for him. Come on, Christian, I'm here to help you. He looked reluctant at first, but eventually started climbing up the steps. When he was close enough, I grabbed him by the forearm and yanked him out of that hole, trying to cover him with my arms as he was absolutely freezing to the touch. A familiar voice from behind startles me. He sounded disappointed. I told you not to open any of the doors. I whirled around and shielded Christian behind me. Is that the man? I could feel the boy shaking. No, I've never seen that man before. Roger walked towards us and I flinched when he extended his hand. Here buddy, let's get you warmed up. He took Christian's hand and led him to the couch.
acting all calm and shit, as if I hadn't just discovered a little kid trapped under the house. A house that he seemed to be in charge of. You're so fucked, I told him, shaking. I'm going to fully cooperate with the police when they get here. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care if they think I'm an accomplice. I just wanted you to know that. Roger didn't pay me much mind. Instead, he smiled at the kid and took off his jacket, covering the boy. Hold on tight, all right? For just a little longer, I'll get you something to eat soon. Roger turned towards me. I backed away. Don't you come near me! He put his hand in his pocket and said, I told you not to open any doors. To hell with that! Roger shook his head. We had so much hope for you. You showed so much promise. We? There's more of you in on this? Do you know what this house is? He didn't wait for me to lie. It's a conduit of sorts. A Schrodinger's house, if you will. Nothing truly exists in this reality until one of the doors are open. Not really. There are many places like this on Earth, and we've watched over them for, nearly, uh, for a really long time. We do this in order to preserve our timeline. Here, walk with me. He brushed past me and left through the front door. I looked at Christian, but the kid was fast asleep. Come on, Roger told me. The kill will still be here, unfortunately. What are you talking about, I asked. A conduit? He leads me down the driveway. That's right. Nothing happens unless a door is open, and the consequences could be big or small. The pizza guy the other day, if you had opened it, he likely would have gotten a tip. But what he did with that money later is beyond your or even our control. Just like the kid who lost the ball. They could have came in and took a look for themselves, but they would have quickly realized that it was missing for themselves. And who knows what their father would have done. We crossed the street. Why didn't you tell me any of this? Because once you know how it works, you can't really watch the house anymore. Not really. It's why I've had to use people like you. There were others? Roger didn't even smile. Okay, fine. Say I believe you. Then why do they start getting angry? Well, some of them, not the kids, I guess. You Wouldn't you start getting angry if you suddenly realized that you were going to exist? Unless, of course, you were in a similar situation to Christians. We had arrived at the house across the street. Roger knocked on the door. A woman entered it, and I immediately recognized her, even though she wasn't smiling this time, nor was the blood dripping down the side of her face. Hello, how can I help you two? Hi, we're wondering if you'd be interested in a termite inspection. Her face went from cheery to stoic in an instant. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The homeowner isn't here right now. Maybe you could leave a card or something and I could give it to them. Roger cracked an award-winning smile. No, I don't think that'll be necessary, as we're only here for a short while. Thank you for your time. And then turned on his heels and walked away. The woman looked at me one last time before slamming the door shut. I caught up to Roger. But she was fine. Exactly. But if you had opened the door the other day, her kids would have been killed by her husband. Likely her too. Even if you had helped. And you too. If you had opened that door, 
He's a large guy after all. We climbed the driveway and Roger stopped short at the door. I could hear the sirens going off in the distance. Christian was sitting upright on the, on the couch, rubbing his eyes. I tried my best not to shake as I entered alone. He looked up at me and I could do nothing but whip and say, I am so sorry. And that's the end of this part too. Okay, so this this was such a good story. Oh my god. I was not I was not ready. For I'm glad you liked it. And how things mm-hmm. were gonna end. Like I really had faith in him. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. he's not gonna open it. He's gonna open it. Even when he went to open the fridge, I'm like, it's still a fridge door. It's a fridge door. I, he did not. He did not open. I mean, the fridge door got like he he was smart enough to remember. Hey, I can't open this one. But unfortunately, they got him with the trap door, with the kid. Yeah, what was? He did good though, and um, now he explains why the 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 minotaur was there because it's not really. Imagine if he opened the, the door, the minotaur just a little interesting exist in this reality. Yeah. That would be very, yeah, very interesting. And literally, like the how, craziest one how is do you the lady. That? You know, like, oh, that was shot. So because he didn't open the door, she's right. fine. But had he opened the door, mm-hmm. then whatever he saw was gonna just materialize and actually happen. This is the NPC theory. Exactly. Like, if you if you don't see it, mm-hmm. it didn't happen. Okay. All right. And for the story I have for you today, it says, I'm the owner of a small diner in the middle of nowhere. And I like to give travelers who come in a discount, provided they tell me a story about their lives. Over the last decade, I've heard some really terrifying things. Hey, strangers. My name is Ali May. I'm the owner of a small diner tucked away in a town somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. The diner doesn't really get much action aside from town folks and the occasional out-of-town passing through and looking for a hot meal. And when those folks happen to come in, I like to introduce myself, bring them their food, and then sit down with them and explain a little game I like to play to pass the time out here. For some context, I inherited this diner from my parents. I have spent practically my whole life in this town, aside from the rare trips to nearby events, markets, state fairs, etc. But those are really only reserved for special occasions. And I don't mind that. I enjoy the peace and quiet that comes with my lifestyle. And I can't deny that as far as lives go, I happen to have myself a pretty good one. I have wonderful friends the sweetest husband, and a beautiful baby girl named Kate. But as nice as my life is to me, I can't deny that it's also real slow. Not, not many big things that happen to me, if y'all understand what I'm saying. And so whenever an unknown face walks into my diner, I ask them if they have any stories to tell me. And if they do, I'm always more than happy to give them a discount on their meal. I've been doing this since I was 22, so about 7 years now. Okay, I'm going to admit something a bit embarrassing to you. The reason I had when I first started to do this was that I had recently found out about the notion of cryptids. And I thought the concept was pretty damn cool. 
more specifically i thought people view me as a cryptid would be a pretty damn cool you know some girl in some diner in the middle of nowhere that you end up spilling your darkest secrets to and then never see again wouldn't that be kind of neat way to be perceived well my spooky little young adult self thought so and that's where it all began normally people are quiet people are quite hesitant to talk at first however they tend to warm up to the idea after i remind them not only will we likely never cross paths again but i don't care about what kind of story they tell me whatever they feel like talking about i'll listen to i just want to break the monotony of small town life and boy have i heard it all love affairs childhood traumas a bad shit dead bad confessions heard from by nurses the story of a very intoxicated and very hush hush two months relationship a customer had with another woman in college before she tragically passed in an accident that she's never told a soul about since especially not her very catholic now husband but beside all that jazz there's one type of story i kept being told horror now I get why this is. Ghost stories, supernatural shit, whatever you want to call it. That's the kind of thing people are hesitant to talk about. And in my opinion, half of it is because that's the kind of thing people are hesitant to believe. But who cares if you tell me? You're not going to see me again, so what's the harm in finally telling someone? It even wouldn't matter if I didn't believe them. They'll still get a discount. But I do believe the stories people tell me. It's something out in their eyes. I think when I look into them, I can see they're being haunted by something awful. And I think it helps them to talk about it, to live here with the knowledge they're not carrying that burden alone. And carrying it with them is something I'm thankful to get to do. I listen to their stories, bring them sweet tea and dessert to cheer them up afterwards. I'll hold their hands if they let me. just generally try to help them it's one small way i can make an impact on some people who are really hurting being the kind of strangers they can confide in knowing they will be believed but anyways i've told my husband some of these stories over the years and he recently started browsing the sub this subreddit and mentioned it to me that i should think about sharing some of them with y'all so here i am sitting in my comfy chair After my baby girl finally fell asleep with my laptop and my absolutely darling cat Cinnamon. I really do hope you guys enjoyed the story I decided to share today. And I'll probably post some more soon. Smile. It was about 5 years ago now. I think this happened sometime in early July, so it was just after my 27th birthday. A young woman stumbled into the diner. I guess she was maybe a few years younger than I was. 23 maybe? Well, the poor thing looked like she hadn't properly slept in weeks. With eye bags so dark I had to take a moment to figure out if they're actually black eyes. She sat down at the booth and I came over to pour her some coffee, which she gratefully accepted. I took her order, waffles with some powdered sugar and a side of mixed fruit. and moved to sit down across from her. Instead of asking if she had stories to tell, I decided to ask her if she was all right. 
and the way her eyes shifted around the room and the way her hands trembled so violently as she tried to use the cutlery made me nervous that she was in some sort of danger. She looked at me and her eyes began to water and in the softest voice you could ever imagine, she just told me that I wouldn't believe her. It was here when I explained some of the part of my game, focusing on the fact that there's really no harm from talking about it if she wanted to, our path would probably never cross again. I remember the way she looked down at the table as her hands moved to scratch quite violently at the skin of on her arms, which were just covered in long red marks already. My heart absolutely ached at the side, so I decided not to say anything for the time being, though it took everything in me to reach to not reach over and take her hands and hold them myself. Finally, she sighed and met my gaze as she nodded ever so slightly at me. She told me she had a stalker and not one she thought was human. The first time she saw him was a few months prior when she was walking to her dorm alone one night back when she lived right by the Appalachian Mountains. She had gone out with some friends and didn't realize how late he had gotten. And by the time she had started to make her way home, it was nearly 2 in the morning. The fastest way to get home meant she had to use a small path that cut through the woods. And she told me she was too worried about the big test she had to get home to study for to really think about the dangers of walking through there at night. As she walked, she said she got that awful feeling that she was being watched. And out of nowhere, she was hit with this horrific wave of anxiety that her heart began to race like a scampering jackrabbit and broke into a cold sweat. And then she noticed watching her through the tree, tree lines. It was tall and vaguely man-shaped, although she said she would hesitate to call it that. And by tall, she meant unhumanly tall, roughly seven or so feet, by her guess. Its skin was thickly pale, and its eyes were bloodshot, accompanied by an impossibly wide grin that revealed way too many horribly stained teeth. From what you could see, the thing was completely hairless, and was dressed in camouflage-type clothing, the kind of hunters and military wear. She said that she froze up when she saw it, staring at the thing in absolute horror, and it just stayed there, smiling at her. Eventually, she snapped out of it and bolted, yet the thing made no move to follow her, and all it did was turn to face her and continue to smile as she ran off. She told me that when she got back to her dorm, just got this sudden urge that she was going to be sick. And this was super weird, since the girl had only torn up twice in her life. Once when she got really a bad case of a flu when she was 10, and once when she got a little too drunk at a party in high school. And yet she spent the next 10 minutes throwing up everything in her stomach and the next 20 dry heaving over the toilet. Her roommate had rushed in to find her covered in sweat and violently sobbing as she puked her gut out for no apparent reason. She had tried to tell her about the thing that she saw in the woods but her roommate had told her that she was probably just sick with something and her mind was playing tricks on her. She said that now she supposedly had this beyond horrible nightmare and nightmares and her roommate told her the next morning she had woken up screaming four separate times. That was her first encounter with the thing, but it certainly wasn't the last.
At this point, she had begun hyperventilating. Tears ran down her cheeks and a strangled cry wrenched itself from her throat. I quickly ran over to the counter to get some napkin and a glass of water before I finally gave in and grabbed her shaking hands and held them tightly. I had asked her if she wanted to stop, but she just shook her head. And so I held her hands and waited for her to continue her story. She said she realized pretty quickly that whatever it was came with the night. At first, she genuinely had just believed that he had come down with some kind of awful virus. But when she woke up the next morning shaken and exhausted, but all other means healthy. She was very confused, but didn't really know what else to do. Then email her professor and explain her situation and sit on her couch and watch episode of her favorite show while she apparently clung onto her roommates for dear life. That was until nightfall came around and she saw the thing again. And this time, it was watching her from her living room window. Instead of freezing up again, she just started to scream. And when her roommate rushed over to see what was wrong, she looked at the window and went pale as a ghost. She asked her roommate if she was seeing it too, and she just nodded before dragging her out of sight from the thing's view and calling the cops. Her symptoms immediately came back, the vomiting, the panic attack-like behavior, the sweating. All of it just like the night before. For some reason though, her roommate was completely unaffected. Shaken, sure, but no sickness, no nightmares, nothing. Just like the few other people after that who saw it when they were with her. Although nobody ever saw it without her. And then the police showed up and things got even worse. They couldn't brush her for concern. Even in the state she was in, her perfectly healthy roommate had seen it too. And so they began to look into things. And what they found was absolutely nothing. The thing couldn't be seen on the security camera footage right beside where he had been standing. They couldn't find a record of any person matching its description in the database. No matter how many times she called over the next three months, no matter the situation, no matter if there was another person there who insisted they saw it too, they couldn't find any evidence of it being there or any records of its existence. She went to the psychiatrist who determined she didn't seem to be suffering from any sort of psychotic disorder. And other doctors at the local hospital ran every test they possibly could to explain her symptoms, had CT scans, MRIs, they all came out totally clean. She had no trauma, tumors, or any type of head injury that could be causing hallucinations. Her blood test showed up there was no autoimmune disease that could explain the symptoms. She did gastric emptying scans and other similar tests which eventually confirmed there was no disorder that could explain the vomiting. The symptoms never happened during the day, during testing, or in any other situation. She never got sick had any other type of nightmares or hallucination. She just kept seeing whatever the hell that thing was and getting violently ill. Eventually, she decided to just try her best to stay inside after dark, which worked for a while until the night where everything went very wrong. She had gone to a local coffee to get some homework done and accidentally fell asleep at her computer and had woken up to one of the waitresses gently shaking her awake and telling her it was closing time. The closing time was 10 p.m. The sun had set over an hour ago. Her hands started to shake it more violently than they already were, which I didn't even think was possible. 
and she choked back another sob before she continued to speak. She dug through her backpack to find her pocket knife and tucked it into her jacket sleeve before she began to brave her way through the darkness back to her house. The cafe was only 10 minutes walk with the shortcut, 20 if she stayed on the streets. She considered her options for a moment, trying to figure out which was more dangerous. She eventually decided that while the street would take longer, they were better late and maybe still had some people out. It wasn't that late, but it wasn't exactly a college town either. There wasn't exactly a nightlife beside a one or two bar. Odds were that she could make the whole trip and run into less than a dozen people. She had made it 10 minutes before she got the feeling she got on the path again. The unmistakably feeling of being watched, coupled with cold sweats and horrible anxiety. She slipped her knife out of her jacket into her hands and held it out in front of her as her gaze shifted to the nearby alleyway. And there it was, tall and pale as death, with the same bloodshed eyes and smile with too many teeth. And that same damn camouflage outfit it always seemed to wear. Only this time, it also held something else. A bouquet of wilted flowers. As the thing held them out to her, she turned and bolted down the street. All thoughts of defending herself from that thing lost, long forgotten. This time though, it dropped the flowers and took off after her. And this was the first time she realized just how fast it actually was. She told me she had always been a good runner. She did track in high school and even made the state finals. And this was without a doubt the fastest she had ever run in her life. But this thing somehow caught up with her in matters of seconds. And then he reached out and grabbed her shoulder. At this, she took her hands away from mine and pulled down on the sleeves of her yellow woolen cardigan, revealing her bare shoulder and the breath caught in my throat. On her shoulder was a large scar resembling the shape of a hand, palm on the shoulder itself, the outline of long fingers marking the top of her arm. My first thought was about the time I was 17 years old and I saw the story about a woman who had acid thrown to her face on TV. It looked almost like that. But if a person with unhumanly long hands somehow managed to cover their hands, their own hands in acid without injuring themselves, and gripped her shoulder as hard as it possibly could. Or maybe like a third degree burn in the shape of a hand, like it was from a person who was made of pure fire. She sniffed softly, which pulled me out of my thoughts. In a whispered voice, she told me that the doctor said whatever burned her ate away the fat and a good portion of the muscles in that shoulder. She can barely lift her arm now. As the tears ran down her face, she talked about how the pain she felt in that moment was like nothing else she'd ever felt before. She couldn't even describe it. She remembered collapsing to the ground, screaming bloody murder. And right before she blacked out, she said she saw the thing lean over her. And with that horrible smile still in his face, he hissed one word to her. Soon. She woke up in the hospital two days later. Even after the wound healed, the pain never stopped and never got better. And that was it. That was the final straw for her. She withdrew from college, packed up her things, and moved states to live with her parents again. 
and for one week things seemed to be okay. She thought maybe, maybe he didn't follow her here until a bouquet of the same wilted flowers, an empty chocolate box stuffed to the brim with bloody human teeth and fingernails appeared on her parents' doorstep. It got closer after that, more and more cocky, until the night where it actually knocked on her window, banging on the glass with an almost maniacal frenzy until the police arrived. By that point, of course, there was nothing there, not a trace. Since then, she's just been driving around the country. Her parents have been sending her money for food and motels. She figured that if it took a week to get from her old town to her parents' house and only seemed to come out at night, then maybe she could keep ahead if she just kept moving. After a moment of stunned silence, I asked if I could hug her and rushed over to pull the shaking girls into my arms as soon as I got a nod of approval. I spent the next half hour gently stroking her hair as she sobbed into my shirt. I wanted to help this poor girl so badly, but deep down we both knew there was nothing I could actually do to keep her safe. But I told her the meal was on me, and I took her back to my house. It was still light after all, so I figured it was safe. I let her take a long shower and help bandage her arm up, made her dinner and introduced her to my cat. And then I cut up some fruit and placed it in the Tupperware containers along with some cookies and gave her direction to the nearest motel. I still think about that girl all the time. It's been half a decade and I haven't heard anything about her since. I don't know if she was killed by that thing or if she managed to outrun it. But I still pray every single night. Then one of these days she'll walk back into my diner and tell me the story of how she defeated that monster over more waffles covered with whey, too much powdered sugar, and a side of fruit. And that's the end of the story. And how exactly is she going to do that? How is she going to defeat that monster on her own when it's like twice her size? Much like he, that thing barely touched fact, her and like literally took just a whole bunch of flesh dried and the, stuff. The like, right. And he told her soon. Gained her. Right. Like, so now come and finish my meal. No, this woman needs to run. <laughs> I would leave the continent. Like, I, no, no. I would commit a crime so I feel safe in jail. And the fact that it came with flowers. Yeah. That was so creepy. That is. And then after she moved to the parents, it was wilted flowers and a box of chocolates. Filled to the rim with bloody teeth and nails. Like what? That is way. That is insane. That's its way of romancing her. Oh, you know what? Oh, he's in love. What? Yeah, that's the thing. He like me. I'm thinking like, no, don't touch me. Like you can see that you're going to kill her, but it's just a desperate love story, impossible love. Cause he's he, th yeah, that's his romancing. It's cute when he's uh, 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 whatever. What's the vampire one? uh twilight twilight yeah <laughs> when he's a vampire we romanticize it and it's cute and you know he can't they can't do anything because he's a vampire and he will kill her mm -hmm. so she has to transform but when he's a seven foot long humanoid <laughs> he ain't cute that's the thing 
with a big ass mouth. He and cute. Filled to the brim with teeth that are sharp and bloody eyes and pale skin. We're like, get the hell um, away from me. Get some, get some better skincare and then come back. Also be rich, you know? Like, yeah. um, excuse you. This is crazy. Damn, I feel... That's true, though. It's only because he's ugly. If yeah, he was seven feet tall, built... With like nice skin, nice teeth. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, nice teeth, like... and the smile was popping instead of being like you know exactly. a shark nader. Mm-hmm. It would have been a different eater. Roman story, you know. Entirely. So Entirely. it's pretty privilege out here. Feel bad for him. Tell me about it. Like you have to be a pretty creature. Mm-hmm. You can't just be. You a can't creature. just exist. Excuse you. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> that was um that was a good story though i liked it yeah i, I really loved it the writing was so good yeah. and it was so nice to read i loved it and i like that the it, it's a small thing but when she started telling the story i really appreciated that the dino lady was like hey you don't have to keep going if you don't want to you know like because yeah. a lot i mean sometimes not until a lot of times when people are desperate for entertainment they will do so at the expense of whoever is telling the story even if it's like painful for them to tell it so it was just a nice little oh she's a really nice lady yeah and the writer the writer's name is lucifer's witness yeah so he might know some things we don't know you know yeah this writing was really good and shout out to him and of course the link is gonna be down there so you guys can check out more of his work because i'm sure he has like other great things and i'm gonna keep an eye on his new post and stuff yeah same with corner cornea <laughs> that's yeah, the that was really good name, too so yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening let us know what you thought of the stories and which type of stories do you enjoy more right I mean, let us know i'm curious to know yes me too and um in the meantime we will catch you in our next episode Bye. bye, bye.